Well, good morning. It's really, really good to be with you again. It's especially good to be preaching again. Uh, but I, I do want to take just a moment to express my sincere and deep gratitude for our elders uh, who granted me uh, the space this past month to not preach every Sunday. I want to thank Keith Clark and Stephen Corbett and Danny Minton for preaching in my place. I know that there's kind of a joke uh, in, in the world where it's, it's like preachers only work an hour a week and all that stuff, and uh, I kind of stopped laughing at that joke a long time ago, but I, I get that it's a joke, and I, I, I just want you to know the, the importance, and I want to thank you as a church because several of you reached out to me expressing your gratitude um, for the elders providing me with a, a break from that weekly rhythm of preaching, uh, which I, I've lived with for 15 years now. And it's one of the things I love the most. But one of the challenges is a, a sermon takes somewhere around 15 to 20 hours to, to research and write and get ready. I live with a countdown clock in my heart and mind. The most relaxed I'm ever going to be is right after I'm done preaching. And then I get more and more tense and less fun to be around as the week goes on. You don't want to be around me late on Saturday night. Because uh, I'm wrestling with the message that, that I feel like God has put on my heart to preach. And I want to preach it well and I want to preach it faithfully. But what that causes is it's really hard to get out of the current week. It's really hard to think long term. Uh, and so I, I was able this last month to, to have an extended time of focus and prayer and study and planning. To think about who we've been as a church. To think about who we are as a church and who I believe God is calling us to be as a church. And if I didn't have the break from preaching each week, I don't, I don't believe that would have been able to happen. And so my hope is, my expectation is, that God will bless us in the weeks and the months to come as the direct result of your generosity of spirit, of giving me that space. So I want to thank you uh, for everything. Would you pray with me? God, we come before you this morning, our hearts full all of us, for different reasons, bringing our gratitude and thanks to you. And as we prepare to open our heart to your word, we ask that you would help us to truly open ourselves up to whatever it is that you need to say to each one of us. We believe in the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit, and I ask that you would use your spirit to reach every single one of us, in the exact way that you need to reach us. We thank you for this invitation to be changed and transformed. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. As Josh mentioned earlier, uh, and if you just look around anywhere in our building, you can tell that tonight we're going to be kicking off our annual summer vacation Bible school uh, I have, have worked for a handful of different churches. I've been to many different churches. I've never seen a church uh, that, that is as excited to put on an annual VBS as this church. I asked Ryan. There's somewhere in the neighborhood of 130 volunteers uh, who have already given untold hours to make tonight and Monday night and Tuesday night a memorable experience for you and your family. So if you're a guest and this is the first time you're hearing about this, we want to invite you back tonight in the next couple of evenings. Uh, it, it's a blessing to see a church community come together to share a story. And this year, the story that we're focusing on is the story of the prophet Samuel. And I've been thinking about 
what it's like to spend three nights focusing on the story of a prophet, especially a prophet from the Old Testament. I mean, if you think about spending that kind of time with a prophet from the Bible, you know that it's going to be interesting because prophets in the Bible are eccentric and unique people, or they tend to be. I mean, they, they eat strange things. John the Baptist seemed to like a diet of insects dipped in wild honey. They dress in strange ways, or not at all, in the case of Isaiah, for three years. They, they do strange things. Ezekiel laid on his side for 430 days as an object lesson. And they almost always seem, as we imagine them when they're speaking, to have this strange gleam in their eyes when they're speaking. And the words they speak, strange doesn't begin to cover it. There are many places in, in the prophets where we read their words, we listen to what they're saying, and it's almost impossible to understand what they're talking about. And then in the stretches where it's really clear what they're talking about, I'm not always sure that we really want to understand what they're saying because prophets don't pull any punches. When they know that God's people are failing to be faithful, they say it. They call God's people things like venomous snakes and adulterous idolaters. And these people keep listening because they know that, that these prophets, as strange as they may seem and as difficult as it is to, to let them preach their sermons, God's people know that they have this tendency to lose their way. They have this tendency, even though they have God's given word, God's written word, they, they have this, this temptation to drift, to forget, and they need somebody to call them the way God calls them. They need somebody to help them understand again. I think when we reduce the prophets to kind of these storefront fortune tellers who supernaturally predict in indecipherable events in the future that only they possibly understand or maybe they don't understand. I think when we, we kind of put them in that corner, we make it easy for us to feel like, well, they're just, they're just so different and out there, we really don't have to wrestle with what they have to say to us. Maybe half of what they talk about happening in the future has already happened, so maybe they don't have much of anything to say to us. But I find that more often than them supernaturally predicting the future, which they do, Oftentimes, they are inspired followers of God who look out at the state of the world and they look at how God's people are failing to be who they promised to be and they don't need supernatural insight. They can tell it like it is. They can see what's going to happen. Anybody whose heart is in sync with God's heart would be able to look out at those situations and say, if things don't change, if you don't change, it's going to get worse. It's going to be hard, and you may not escape. God's people have always needed prophets. It's not like there's just one or two of these eccentric, strange people in Scripture. They're throughout our history. In fact, if you look carefully at the Old and New Testament, you'll find that the words for prophet and prophetess appear over 300 times in the Old Testament and 125 in the New this is something God does, not just every once in a while, but over and over and over again. God sends people 
to wake his people up. He uses ordinary men and women to call his people back. Back to their their covenant relationship with God. Back to their compassionate relationship with all who are hurting and need help. Back to their role in God's mission of saving this world from everything that is dark and destructive. And it's during a dark and difficult time when God starts speaking to a young boy named Samuel. Samuel's serving an older priest named Eli. Like all of us, sometime or another in our lives, Eli has tried to do his best, but he's fallen short of that. As God's spiritual leader for the people, he's done some good things, but he's also done some not-so-good things. And in fact, his weaknesses and his struggles have really outweighed the positives when it comes to his relationship to God's people. And so his uneven example, his uneven life, his uneven leadership has contributed to God's people forgetting, being confused about their identity and their calling. And so God decides to step directly into the story, to intervene, and because they've lost their sense of calling and identity, he calls Samuel. To be his messenger. To be his servant. Now, the, the, the way it all starts is, is one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. It's late one night. Samuel, this young boy, is trying to get some sleep and he's not sleeping in an ordinary bedroom. He happens to be sleeping very close to the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle. Now think about that. This is the location where God's people believe they will encounter God himself. They call the tabernacle the tent of meeting because that's what they expect to happen when they come there. Can you imagine your bedroom being the holy of holies? Samuel's there. And he hears someone say his name. Now the way the storyteller unfolds these details to us in scripture, we know from the beginning that it's God. For whatever reason, when Samuel hears his name, even in that place, he assumes it has to be Eli calling him because there's only two of them there. Right? So he gets up and he rushes over to Eli, who's not just old and elderly, but he's also losing his eyesight. And so Samuel feels protective of him, and he gets there, and he he wakes him up a little bit, and he says, Eli, did you call me? Do you need anything? Is everything okay? And Eli says, no, son, I I didn't call you. I don't want to be awake right now. I want you to go back to sleep, so go, go lie down. So Samuel lies down. God, who might have a gleam of playfulness in his eye at this point, (laughs) says, Samuel, Samuel, gets up again, goes back to Eli, has to wake him up again. It's not occurring to Samuel if he's waking him up that he's not the one calling him. No, Samuel, I don't need you. Go lay back down. 
Now you know God's kind of chuckling. Samuel, Samuel, a third time, Samuel gets up and goes back to Eli. But this time, Eli figures it out. He knows that it's not a joke, and it's not a prank, and it's not a stunt. It is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he is calling out to Samuel. We're going to pick the story up together there. So please open your Bibles up to 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 9. So Eli said to Samuel, go and lie down. If he calls you, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down where he'd been. Then the Lord came and stood there calling just as before, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel said, speak, your servant is listening. The Lord said to Samuel, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of all who hear it tingle. On that day, I will bring to pass against Eli everything I said about his household, every last bit of it. I told him that I would punish his family forever because of the wrongdoing that he knew about. How his sons were cursing God, but he wouldn't stop them. And because of that, I swore about Eli's household that his family's wrongdoing will never be reconciled by sacrifice or by offering. Samuel lay there until morning, then opened the doors of the Lord's house. Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel, saying, Samuel, my son, I'm here, Samuel said. What did he say to you, Eli asked. Don't hide anything from me. May God deal harshly with you, and worse still, if you hide from me a single word from everything he said to you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. He is the Lord, Eli said. He will do as he pleases. Now, when I first started working on it, I assumed this sermon was going to be about how you and I could be like Samuel, how you and I could be unexpected prophets. But the more I read the story, the more I lived with it, the more I thought about it, reflected, the more I prayed about it, the more I started to realize that this story is going to have to be not about us being like Samuel and being unexpected prophets, but I actually think this sermon has to be about us learning how to be like Eli, listening to unexpected prophets. And that's a tough realization to come to because I'm guessing that given the choice, almost everybody in this room would choose to be like Samuel in this story. I mean, who wouldn't choose to be young and innocent and chosen? Chosen to be God's special servant. Who who wouldn't choose to hear that clearly from God? And on the other hand, you've got this elderly, infirm man who's messed up. He's made a lot of mistakes. He's got a lot of regrets. And his past is coming for him. Now, given the choice, who would choose that role in this story? Not many of us, I'm I'm sure. And yet it's old, imperfect Eli, 
who manages to do something in this story that impresses me more than anything Samuel has to do. Eli listens with an open heart as God speaks a hard truth through someone who's close to Eli's heart. He's listening with an open heart to something that's hard to hear directly from somebody who's close to his heart. Now, sure, it takes three times of this back and forth that I am certain you're supposed to laugh at when you're reading it. That between the two of them, they can't figure out what's going on. But when Eli does figure out that it's God who's speaking to Samuel, he has a choice to make. And I think the choice he makes is a courageous one. Think about his options. Samuel is so young and inexperienced, and he trusts Eli so much that Eli could tell him anything. And we already know that Eli, like all of us, is far from perfect, and he struggles, and he probably has at times a loose relationship to the truth. But when he finds out that that God's the one speaking to his trainee, and think about how painful that has to be, that, that you start to figure out in that moment that you're being replaced, Have you ever been in a situation like that in your life where you realize that the person you're with is going to take over your role? I mean, Samuel's not going to be just a priest. He's going to be this amazing prophet. This is the very beginning. It's not like Eli knows the full story yet, but he knows this, that God is now speaking to and through somebody else. Or at least... If he sends Samuel back in there, that's exactly what's going to happen. So he's got a choice to make. You know how easy it would have been for Samuel to believe Eli if Eli had said, "Uh, you know what, it was me calling you. And since we've been awake three times, I'm never going to get back to sleep. We have a lot to do today. Let's just get up and get ready. And in fact, you know what? Let's walk as far away from the tabernacle as possible. Right? Because he could have decided if, if he goes back in there, God might finally say more than just his name. He, he could have made up some excuse. He, he could have told Samuel, son, stay right here. I'm going to go check it out. And he could have gone into that space, that holy place near the the Ark of the Covenant. And he could have hoped that God might speak directly to him instead of Samuel if he was the one who was in the room. But he doesn't do that. And then think about, not only does he make the decision to send Samuel back in there to listen directly to God in the morning, when Samuel tells him what it is God has, has said, and it's difficult, right? It's not a message that any of us would want to hear from God. It's not the kind of message we like to focus on from God. I mean, God's basically saying through Samuel to Eli, you've done things in your family that your family will never shake, shake off. It will never go away. There will be consequences. You've set things in motion that will be painful and hard and difficult And it's coming. Who would have thought that God would show grace through that kind of warning? It's not the kind of grace that I would choose. It's not the kind of grace that you would choose. And yet somehow, some way, this message from Samuel, it's it's 
grace in the form of a warning that is fully intended to wake this old man up. To call him back. And when Samuel gives those painful, difficult words to Eli, Eli has another choice to make. He can laugh it off. He can decide that this young kid's just having hallucinations. He could humiliate Samuel. He could tell Samuel, don't you ever share this story with anybody else. And yet here we are reading it all these years later. So this story was a story that was shared. Eli's got all kinds of options in front of him to mess this turn of events up, to to change things in ways that are selfish and disappointing, but he doesn't. Eli chooses to believe. Now, here's what's interesting. If If you open your Bible up and you look at 1 Samuel 3, verse 1, it says, That this was a time, not just in Eli's life, but this is a time in all of Israel's life where true prophets are scarce. They're not around. And that alone would be enough temptation for many of us, I think, to disregard all of this as a flight of fancy. as, As just this young, ambitious trainee trying to make up a story that will help him Climb the ladder even faster. But Eli makes the faithful, courageous decision to believe that the words of Samuel are the very words of God. It seems that as as many mistakes as he's made, as much as he's struggled, Eli still knows God's truth when he hears it, no matter who is speaking that truth to him. And that brings me back to this idea that of all the reasons that Eli might disregard the possibility that this this young trainee Samuel is speaking to him for God, I think the fact that they share life together every single day, I think the fact that they know each other that well, that they're that close, that had to be the most difficult obstacle to overcome. There's a reason we have a saying, familiarity breeds contempt. There's a reason Jesus once said that prophets are honored everywhere except in their own hometown by their relatives in their own household. We have a hard enough time believing in modern day prophets speaking to us. But for those prophets to be somebody that we know, I mean know really, really well, I think that's almost impossible for us to believe. And yet Eli teaches us I think in his his bravest, best moment, he teaches us that we must overcome any doubt we have that God still speaks to us through people he chooses. And we need to overcome the unexpected fact that God might choose to speak to us through people we know best. We don't believe in a God who only spoke once. We don't believe in a God who only spoke a long time ago. We believe in a God who still speaks. And not only through his written word, but through people he chooses to tell us God's truth. 
even when it's an uncomfortable truth that we would rather not hear. And you and I know from our own experience that when somebody close to us tries to tell us a truth that we don't want to hear, we decide that because they're close to us and we know them so well and we know their own shortcomings and we know their mistakes that God couldn't possibly be using that person to speak his truth into our lives. But any person who speaks God's truth into your life is a prophet. And we have to be willing to open our lives up to the possibility that that's exactly what's possible when we speak to one another. I mean, I don't know why it is, but we, we can be really closed off to people we know best when they try to point something out to us that, that on our own, we figured out how to ignore it or run away from it or make excuses for it. Now, I'm going to be pretty transparent here. I, I have a hard time listening to Riley and Reese when we're in the van and we're a little late and we're a little lost. And Lauren and I are having, let's say, a spirited discussion. <laughs> and these two children who fight incessantly around the clock say, you guys shouldn't fight like that. I want to say, who are you to say that to me? <laughs> but couldn't it be that God's speaking through them? To say, don't talk like that to mom, and mom, don't talk like that to dad. and It's dad's fault that we're late and we're lost. Or what if your spouse tells you that you've been living like, you've been acting like how you do at work is more important than who you are at home? What do you say then? Do you find some little thing you can nitpick to say, who are you to say that to me? But what if God's speaking through somebody as close to you as your own heart to say something you've been running from? What, what if your coworker just quietly, quietly observes at one point that, you know, you say one thing to one person and you say another thing to another person when the deal's on the line? You make excuses? You say it's worth it somehow, that, that somehow it's, it's okay for you to do that? What happens when your closest friend clears their throat? You're at a meal or at coffee or something, and they say, you know, I know this thing happened between you and, and this other person a while back, but I'm, I'm really disappointed in how you're treating them, and I was really hoping you could figure out how to be the bigger person here. Do you cut them off? you say you got to go? Do you avoid them? And what happens if you're with a person that you're forced to be with that you, if you had a choice, you'd never spend any time with them, but you're with them a lot? And one afternoon they get the courage to say, you know, I know there's this thing between us, this tension, I know. And I know some of it's my fault, but at least half of it's your fault. And we need to work this out. What What's your response then? It's hard to hear. I mean, really hear. Even when someone is telling us the truth. Maybe it's especially hard to hear when we know deep down they're telling us the truth. And anybody 
who tells us the truth in that moment is speaking for God. And in every one of those kinds of situations, and you can come up with other challenging situations, we, we have a decision to make. Will we ignore someone simply because of who, who they are? Will we ignore them because of how close we are to them? Or will we open our hearts to listen to them not based on whether or not we think they have the right to say what they're saying, but on whether or not what they're saying is right. If it's true. Will we keep our eyes and our ears and our hearts open to the chance that God might send a prophet into our lives when we least expect it? Will we let someone close to us be the person God uses to speak grace into our lives, even when that grace takes the uncomfortable form of a warning? A warning that could wake us up and call us back? May God give us the wisdom and the courage, like Eli before us, to recognize when God sends a Samuel into our lives. Sends someone into our lives that's always been there, but has something new to say. We're going to sing together now, and as we do, we'll have some shepherding couples waiting just outside these double doors. They're there to pray with you, to talk with you, to be community to you. And so if you have any questions at all or anything you want to share, talk about, pray about, we'd ask that you go to those couples as together we stand and sing.